You're listening to the Cyberwire Network, powered by N2K. And now, a message from Cyberbit. Mastering cybersecurity is like mastering a sport. You build muscle memory through rigorous practice. Then you train as a team to foster cohesion while operating under pressure. Like athletes, cybersecurity professionals thrive on hands-on simulation. But traditional courses, certifications, and open-source labs won't build you a winning team. You need Cyberbit. Cyberbit offers a hyper-realistic simulation environment for your SOC, IR, and C-suite to refine your skills. All using the market-leading SIMs, EDRs, firewalls, and WAFs they use every day. Cyberbit is offering CyberWire listeners a free live fire exercise. Sign up your team now at cyberbit.com slash cyberwire. Cozy Bear's active command and control servers are found, and people conclude that Moscow's not too worried about American retaliation after all. Spyware is found in an app for companies doing business in China. What to make and not make of the Iranian document Sky News received. Fishing with Crimean bait. HTML smuggling may be enjoying a moderate surge. Doppelpamer rebrands. Andrea Little Limbago from Enteros on growing the next generation of cyber. Our guest is Jamil Jaffer from IronNet Cybersecurity on protecting the Black Hat Network Operations Center. And good news, that blackmailing bot really does not know what you did last summer. From the CyberWire studios at Data Tribe, I'm Dave Bittner with your CyberWire summary for Friday, July 30th, 2021. Security firm RiskIQ this morning reported having identified more than 30 active APT29 command and control servers delivering well-mess and well-mail malware. Espionage tools CISA identified last year as particularly active against COVID-19 vaccine development efforts in the UK, Canada, and the US. APT29, also commonly known as Cozy Bear, is of course generally associated with Russia's SVR. Bloomberg sees the discovery as evidence that Russia isn't taking U.S. complaints of cyber activity targeting critical sectors particularly seriously. Indeed, the Russian embassy in Washington was positively blasé, simply referring inquirers to their earlier statement that people should avoid sweeping accusations and saying that further discussions with the U.S. would surely improve the security of the information infrastructure of our countries. Kevin Lavelli, RiskIQ's Director of Threat Intelligence, told Bloomberg, quote, Often when an APT group receives a lot of public attention, either in security research or politically, it goes to ground for a bit until the heat is off. Our findings show that APT29 is back to business as usual, despite widespread exposure in the SolarWinds episode, and a high-level summit where President Biden leaned on President Putin to be less aggressive in cyberspace. 
In fact, APT29 is using the same malware they used to steal COVID-19 research a year ago, despite the fact that the U.S., U.K., and Canadian governments called them out on it. They haven't missed a beat. End quote. Indeed, they haven't. As RiskIQ's own report puts it, the activity uncovered was notable given the context in which it appeared, coming on the heels of a public reproach of Russian hacking by President Joe Biden in a recent summit with President Vladimir Putin. The White House had a tight-lipped no-comment. Cozy Bear's activities appear to occupy the gray zone of espionage. There's at present no suggestion that sabotage was involved, although theft of IP, reconnaissance, and battle space preparation are certainly possibilities. Recorded Futures' Insect Group has evaluated Beijing OnePass, an employee benefits application the Chinese government provides companies doing business in that country. The app appears to be spyware. Quote, The installed application exhibits characteristics consistent with potentially unwanted applications and spyware. Some notable suspicious behaviors relate to several dropped files and subsequent processes initiated from the primary application. These behaviors include a persistence mechanism, the collection of user data such as screenshots and keystrokes, a backdoor functionality, and other behaviors commonly associated with malicious tools, such as disabling security and backup-related services. At the time of writing, it is unclear if the spyware features were added inside the Beijing OnePass software on purpose, or if they were inserted after a compromise of the company's software development pipeline. In fairness to Beijing, attributing the undeniable spyware functionality to China's intelligence services isn't a matter of certainty, since, as the Insect Group points out, it's possible that unknown parties, criminals or others, inserted the spyware after having compromised the app's development. Recorded Future called BJCA the state-owned enterprise that makes Beijing OnePass, but they were unwilling to comment. It's a problem for companies doing business in China. Quote, While information about how the spyware functionality made it inside the app is still shrouded in mystery, its presence is undeniable. Furthermore, companies doing business in China may not have an option and may be forced to install the software. End quote. If that's you or your organization, isolate the app and keep it away from systems that handle sensitive information. Beijing OnePass isn't the first time an app whose installation the Chinese authorities pressure foreign companies to install has exhibited troubling behavior. As Recorded Future gracefully points out, a little more than a year ago, Trustwave Labs found that a Chinese bank was requiring foreign companies operating in the country to install an app to file taxes with local governments. That app was backdoored. Haaretz looks at the documents Sky News obtained that appear to be Iranian studies of cyber sabotage operations and points out that the documents are based on readily available open sources. They aren't in themselves offensive planning documents and could be equally relevant to defensive measures. There's a term paperish quality about them that falls well short of what an actual operations plan might look like. Still, the possibility of cyber sabotage is worth keeping an eye on. Security firm Malwarebytes describes a phishing campaign baited with a Crimean manifesto whose hook is a VBA rat. The document, appearing in both Russian and English, 
represents itself as opposed to Russia's occupation of Crimea, but this isn't grounds for even circumstantial attribution. Researchers at Menlo Security are tracking an HTML smuggling attack it calls Isomorph. The attack bypasses network security solutions like legacy proxies and sandboxes to gain access to targeted devices. Subsequent stages install AsyncRat or NJRAT. NJRAT has been used for some time by so many different threat actors that its presence has little to say about attribution. Those who have used it have tended to go after what Menlo Security characterizes as high-value targets in the Middle East. HTML smuggling is enjoying a resurgence in popularity among criminals and nation-states. Menlo Security points out that the Nobelium threat group, also known as APT-29 or, again, Cozy Bear, Russia's SVR, used it during the campaign that exploited SolarWinds vulnerabilities. There's another rebranding in progress down in the ransomware underworld. Security firm Zscaler says that Doppelpamer, which had been quiet for a bit, seems to have reemerged as grief. This kind of rebranding constitutes a low-order form of misdirection, the criminal equivalent of the magician's nothing-up-my-sleeve, and should by now be considered a regular phase of the criminal-to-criminal market's business cycle. And finally, remember Scareware, the stuff that would pop up and tell you that you've been caught visiting naughty content on what we've come to call adult websites, although perpetually adolescent websites would probably be better. The stuff said that the FBI was on to you and that you would be unmasked and disgraced before your friends, family, employer, and whatever gods you prayed to. Yeah, remember that stuff? Well, it's back, in the form of bot-driven spam. Security firm Bitdefender said today that they've been following a multilingual, multinational spray-and-pray campaign that's spamming people to tell them that their credentials have been compromised and that they, the criminals, know what you've been up to online and that it's not a pretty sight. If you pay them off, they'll keep it all quiet. The extortion demand varies with the language of the message. In Italy, they want 950 euros— in Brazil, 1,600 reais, 1,350 euros from those who speak Dutch, $650 from francophones, insultingly denominated in U.S. dollars. From Romanians, they want 1,250 Yankee greenbacks, and from the monoglot Americans, they ask 1,500 bucks. The price list suggests that consciences are about 100 bucks guiltier in Amsterdam than they are in New York or even Los Angeles, which strikes us as unlikely, but who knows? All payments, naturally, should be remitted by Bitcoin. The good news? It's all hooey. They've got nothing on you. Delete that message and have a nice day. Every day, your IAM tech debt grows. Your multi-generational services struggle to work together. Building an identity fabric can fix this. It makes all your identity tooling stronger and allows you to connect any app to any service you want to use with zero coding, zero maintenance, and zero app downtime. Strata's identity orchestration platform separates the identity logic from your applications, 
so you can optimize existing IAM tools and manage them in a single control plane. Now, every vendor, standard, and architecture work together. In short, building your identity fabric means you can secure your non-standard apps, keep your complex access policies, retire outdated IDPs, and modernize in record time. So build your fabric with Strata Identity and get rid of tech debt for good. Visit strata.io slash cyberwire, share your identity priorities, and receive a pair of AirPods Pro. Offer valid for organizations over 5,000 employees. Connect today at strata.io slash cyberwire. The IT world used to be simpler. You only had to secure and manage environments that you controlled. Then came new technologies and new ways to work. Now, employees, apps, and networks are everywhere. This means poor visibility, security gaps, and added risk. That's why Cloudflare created the first-ever connectivity cloud. Visit cloudflare.com to protect your business everywhere you do business. The Black Hat Conference is once again upon us, and this year, IronNet Security are among the organizations partnering with Black Hat organizers to secure the event's network operations center. It's an interesting task, to say the least, given the high profile and history of Black Hat. Jamil Jaffer is Senior Vice President at IronNet Security. Sure. So, you know, IronNet uh, Cybersecurity was founded by General Keith Alexander, the former director of the NSA and the founding commander of U.S. Cyber Command. Um, and we brought together a great group of people, uh, you know, offensive operators from NSA, the best and the brightest who were going up against the Russians and the Chinese, getting into their systems, and the defensive side, defending uh, the U.S. government uh, from these types of attacks, the DOD and the defense industrial base. And so brought together some great folks. And when this company got started, you know, right actually before John Alexander left NSA, he was the first NSA director to actually go to Black Hat and engage the audience to go to those 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 organizations to talk about what NSA does. I mean, it was it was it was a it was a fundamental sea change in the way the government operated uh, with respect to hackers and 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 the like and, and the community uh, that's there. Uh, he came in jeans. He talked candidly, you know, um, and and we've seen that more hap- happening more. And so Ironet's always had in our culture. Uh, to be part of these events and to be part of that community, whether it's Black Hat or DEF CON or the like. And so as we've always engaged, uh, we've always been there. I've spoken a couple of times to Black Hat, and I've, I've, I've sherpa members of Congress uh, to DEF CON just two years ago before COVID <laughs> hit. So, you know, we've been engaged the whole way. This year, we decided to up that engagement with Black Hat. This year, we decided we're going to be one of the one of the organizations that's going to defend the knock. So, you know, Black Hat has a network operations center. As you know, everyone tries to come after Black Hat to say you you took out the the network operations center of Black Hat is a is a is a is a is a, is a matter of pride for for both White Hat and and other hackers, Gray Hat and the like hackers. And so, to be the the organization defending the knock is is a, is a big task. And so we're doing that this year. We're excited about it. And frankly, we're bringing this collective defense mentality, this collective defense capability. Uh, to the NOC. So we're not just going to be defending the NOC itself, but we're going to be taking information for our existing clients and in an anonymized way, bringing that together to defend the NOC, just, not just against what we know about, but the unknown unknowns, right? Trying to find those new and novel threats that are coming up against the NOC. That'll help defend the NOC better at Black Hat, but it'll also help defend our clients out in industry better all at the same time. So, you know, that collective defense we were talking about and what the Cyber Security Southern Commission talked about, we're going to bring that to bear 
uh, this next week at, at the Black Hat Network Operations Center. Yeah, I mean, it's a really good point in, in that, that that collaboration flows both ways, that you're able to provide your uh, services, your expertise to help defend. But at the same time, all of that stuff that's going to be coming at you, that's a great learning opportunity looking for you know novel approaches and things you can take back to your clients and share with the community. Well, exactly right. And, and at the end of the day, that's what this is all about, you know. The idea, you know, we've never thought about in no other sort of area of nation state activities, right, where we know nation states and highly capable actors, criminal gangs that are sometimes funded by nation states. We've never thought that was the job of individual companies to defend against. I mean, think about it, right? If the Russians were to fly a bomber over U.S. territory, we don't think Target or Walmart or J.P. Morgan should have surface to air missiles on the roof of their buildings or their warehouses to defend against the Russians. That's crazy. And yet in cyberspace, the theory is exactly the opposite. Every single company, large, small, mom and pop, big bank, big energy, they all have to defend against the Russians, the Chinese, the Iranians, the North Koreans, major criminal gangs emanating on Northeastern Europe, major criminal gangs operating out of China now increasingly. That doesn't make sense. They, you can't expect a single company that's a profit-making entity whose job it is to build services for consumers or other businesses or products to also spend the kind of money it takes to go up against a nation-state or a nation-state-like attacker. And so the only way to get around that and to solve that problem is to bring companies together, industries together, and, and frankly, industry and government together to really defend one another in this new domain that we're fighting in. That's Jamil Jaffer from IronNet Security. There's a lot more to this conversation. If you want to hear the full interview, head on over to CyberWire Pro and sign up for Interview Selects, where you'll get access to this and many more extended interviews. Are lengthy security reviews pulling attention away from your security program? With the largest network of trust centers, Vanta can help you streamline security reviews to win customer trust, save time, and close deals fast. Proactively demonstrate security by showcasing key resources like your SOC 2 or ISO 27001 and provide real-time evidence for passing controls. And when a security questionnaire is required, Vanta takes the first pass for you. Visit vanta.com cyber to take a self-serve tour. That's vanta.com slash cyber. And I am pleased to be joined once again by Andrea Little-Limbago. She's the Vice President of Research and Analysis at Enteros. Andrea, it's always great to have you back. Um, you know, we always talk about how there aren't enough folks to fill all of the jobs that we have available in cyber. Um, and I know you've got some stories to share of uh, some of the next generation coming up, some uh, kids who are interested in uh, joining us in this good fight. Yeah, you know, it's been one of those things where you know, over the last year has certainly been hard for so many different reasons. Um, one of the silver linings has been the ability to reach out to more students, for me, has been the ability to reach out to more students, you know, wherever they are across the country uh, and actually across the globe, you know, due to the virtual format now. And so, you know, I've had the opportunity to either, you know, fill in as a, a professor at a, at a university or just speak at various kinds of conferences at the universities. And honestly, they are some of my best experiences over, over this last year. And, I, and I've done it before, but it was, it's always 
it's increased actually for some reason over this last year. I've been able to have the opportunity to do it a lot more. And, um, you know, the, the questions that the students are asking, you know, there's, there's really insightful, the, the areas that they're studying, you know, for me, like didn't exist when I was in college and or even come close to it. They're really engaged and they really, I think are taking just a really nice angle on it where, you know, I, as a social scientist, you know, I, you know, I've basically was trained in, you know, in my lane of, you know, of international relations. And I think the same thing happens across, you know, across engineering, across math, the various sciences, you know, it's kind of stovepipe. What I saw a lot from these students was really this multidisciplinary approach. And so looking at, you know, biology and technology, and that'll help them in the biotech area. Those that are in political science are also, you know, taking computer science and really focusing on, you know, what digital democracy could look like and really rethinking a lot of those kind of, uh, those frameworks and models. Like they're just really coming at it with a lot of interesting and um, you know, different ideas, different perspectives and enthusiasm. And so that, I think that was one of the things that, you know, it gave me, you know, it was sort of, uh, it, was, it was like a jumpstart for, my, for me is to, you know, to reignite my own enthusiasm that I've had, um, you know, because it can, you know, this industry can be hard uh, yeah. day after day. And so there's, there's so much excitement, enthusiasm and good ideas that we do. I mean, it's been really exciting. You know, I think one example um, Atlantic Council does Cyber 912, where they have students come in and they basically have universities compete against each other to tackle, a, they make up a policy scenario and they have to come in and they, they create what their policy responses should be. And they were just really bright, like really looking at, they were able to pull a thread together across different areas, just in ways that I think um, doesn't always happen. And so it's, it was really, you know, it was nice to see. And there's these really just bright, articulate, enthusiastic yeah, it gave me a lot of hope for for you know, where we're going as an industry, and I, th- I think it's really going to not revitalize, but just help transform the industry as you know, in in light of what you know all the various kinds of of threats and opportunities that are going on in the world. Do you have any thoughts on what is driving that that breadth of information? That that I mean, is it the way that they are uh, the accessibility they have to information that perhaps? You know, you and I growing up didn't have, we had to go to the library. We had to pull out the encyclopedia and, and this, this group of digital natives have everything at their fingertips. They do. And I think that for sure is part of it, which I think also is how they think about things. You know, almost everything they look at has some technology component to it. So when they're thinking about healthcare, that they still think about technology with it. Or when they think about doing some sort of biomedical research, there's technology or even energy. Like, you know, they think about the technology driving it. Like, I think that just is a natural component, whereas think for us, you know, that was a, it was a separate area of study. Um, right. And even like when we think about cybersecurity, I mean, cybersecurity just is, you know, it's pervasive throughout every industry possible. And when we try and you know, look at it separately outside of some of those industries, you know, that that's where we've gotten to some problems when they really are so interconnected. And so I do think that because they are digital natives, they always have that technology in hand. And so they always think about, you know, how, how technology can be used for good and for bad. I think that's also the, the difference It's because they, they you know, they've seen it. You know, as they grew up, they've seen how technology can be great for that access to information. They've also seen or experienced, you know, personally or with from amongst their peers, you know, the, the negative sides of, of the technology and information access. So I think they're just much more aware of the benefits and the harms, and really trying to do what they can to optimize the benefits that that we can have and um, and the impact that we can have. And so it's it's been interesting. It's it's um, you know, going at, at the conferences, you know. Like, some of the B-sides and so forth still had, you know, career mentoring and um, resume reviews. And, you know, there were more and more of the students were able to access those this year. And so I think that's been great too. Like that, and that's how one you know, greater interaction for those of us in the industry with the students, which has been good. But for those students, you know, it made them, it made those conferences that they couldn't, 
I mean, I would never have been able to afford any of the conferences when I was in college, but just made them accessible uh, to hear. And so I think that also, you know, I hope that's something that doesn't change going forward is, is keeping some of the virtual, you know, ability to, to watch some of these for, especially for students. I think that that's going to, that, I think it really can help open a lot of minds and expo- exposure to the whole breadth of what the, the industry can provide. All right. Well, Andrea Little-Dumbago, thanks for joining us. Thank you. That's the Cyberwire. For links to all of today's stories, check out our daily briefing at thecyberwire.com. Be sure to check out this weekend's Research Saturday program. I'm speaking with Charity Wright from Recorded Futures Insect Group. We're going to be talking about China's digital colonization. That's Research Saturday. Check it out. The Cyberwire podcast is proudly produced in Maryland out of the startup studios of Data Tribe, where they're co-building the next generation of cybersecurity teams and technologies. Our amazing CyberWire team is Trey Hester, Elliot Peltzman, Peru Prakash, Justin Sabi, Tim Nodar, Joe Kerrigan, Carol Terrio, Ben Yellen, Nick Vilecki, Gina Johnson, Bennett Moe, Chris Russell, John Petrick, Jennifer Iben, Rick Howard, Peter Kilpie, and I'm Dave Bittner. Thanks for listening. We'll see you back here next week. Now, a word from our sponsor, Zscaler, the leader in cloud security. Cyber attackers are using AI in creative ways to compromise users and breach organizations. In a security landscape where you must fight AI with AI, the best AI protection comes from having the best data. Zscaler has extended its zero-trust architecture with powerful AI engines that are trained and tuned by 500 trillion daily signals. Learn more about Zscaler Zero Trust plus AI to prevent ransomware and AI attacks. Experience your world secured. Visit zscaler.com slash zero trust AI.